How many times are we like the guy on the box saying all the things we're thankful for, but never really uh, uh, valuing those spiritual matters that really anchor our lives, that give us hope? I pray that this Give Thanks series helps us become more thankful and more focused and confident on some of the core blessings of our faith. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the reality. While, while it's good to be thankful for all these things, there's nothing that has more powerfully affected our lives and the value that we have for eternity than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is real. Amen? Let's praise God for the resurrection of Jesus. Let us never forget that Jesus died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and is now at the right hand of God. And we just worshiped him. Every time we gather, every time you praise him, whether you're alone or you're with your church family or you're with a friend, when we praise the name of Jesus, he is receiving glory for who he is and what he's done. What an amazing thing. Makes me thankful for salvation. I wonder how many times we slow down to be thankful that we're saved. Sometimes we gloss over the enormous, eternal value of salvation and we're not truly grateful. I mean, we may be thankful we're not headed to hell, uh, but how many times do we really say, God, thank you for saving me? I think it may be because we don't really understand what it means to be saved or, or how we're saved. What do you believe about that? What do you believe about salvation? Ask yourself this question right now internally How am I saved? I don't know if you've even ever thought of that yourself. If someone were to ask you today how you were saved, if you were having a conversation with God and you're like, God, I'm thankful for my salvation, how am I saved? Is it something you know? Is it something that, that leads you to even be more thankful? I'm afraid if we're not careful, some of us can get in this bad habit of thinking we're saved and we almost think we've earned it. But how am I saved? A lot of times we start thinking, oh, of my service. I'm, I'm evidently saved because of all my service, this idea of how much I have to do, how much I've done, how much do I have to do to be saved. We can get caught up thinking, well, I did this as a young boy, I did this last month, I helped this person, surely I'm saved because I've done so much. How much do I have to do? Or this, what about our sacrifice? How much do I have to give to be saved? And then we start thinking about, well, I gave this monetarily. I gave this of my time. I, I gave this in this way. And we start thinking, well, I, I must be saved because all the things I've done that I do to, to give. And other times we think, well, I, I'm saved because all I know. How much do I have to know to be saved? While I love the Word of God, it, it is the ability for us to know God's plan of salvation. It is not based on what I know that I'm saved. See, the common thread of these questions is, how much do I have to do my own human effort to be saved? How high do I have to reach as a human to, to, to reach God's height? Uh, how high do I have to, to reach on my own to, to get to go to heaven? As long as I'm a good moral person and I'm nice to others, God will accept me into heaven, right? I wonder how many times you felt that way or how many times that's the message we've heard. That, that as long as we're good people, God will accept us. Really? If that's the question, it can become like this. Real easy for people, and I've seen this. I felt this. wonder how uh, much I have to do to be saved. Or, or transition to this. I wonder how little I can do and still be saved. 
It's a very dangerous concept, and it's wrong. The radical reality of what God has done for us is that we cannot achieve salvation on our own. It is a gift from God through his sacrifice through Jesus, his son. That is where salvation comes from, and then it is a gift that we can receive. It is the gift of God. I love the way the Bible puts it. Here's our core verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. If God has given one gift, if, if he has the gift to, to put before you, it is grace, the ability to be saved through Jesus. Not from yourselves uh, so that anyone can boast, but it comes from God. And I think sometimes we mess that up. I want to release you from that burden of how much you have to do, how much you have to know, how much you have to give, and say, God, I have received grace through Jesus, and for that I praise you, and I'm grateful, and now I'm going to live to honor you. That's the point. We can be released from the burden of how good I have to be, but we get to live under the blessing of I can be like Christ and serve him and give him glory. That's why God's grace is such good news. We can't earn it, but where it's free for us to accept. You may have come here today, and I believe this message may just be for one of you, this part of it. You may have thought this, I will never be good enough. Everyone is, comes before God the same, sinner saved by grace. And he is uh, reaching out to you. He, he's wanting to tug at your heart to say, will you receive that? That's what grace is, because we'll never be enough. Sometimes we think, well, surely this person I know is enough because they not only serve, they not only sacrifice, they not only know scripture, they, they seem to have it all done. They're never, they're never enough, not one of them. What, what about the 16 people that just went to the mission trip to Mexico that changed a family's life on earth by building them a house in less than a week? Haven't they done enough to be saved? No. Not one person in this room has done enough to be saved. I am very thankful for those people, though. Uh, you're going to hear more about them, I think, uh, uh, next week and uh, through our social media and email. They did amazing things in Mexico, and I want to celebrate them right now. Uh, the way they showed God's grace to that family in Mexico will change your life forever, and they told them about Jesus. Let's praise God for that. But can they say, well, we've checked it off our list. I'm good. I sure hope not. I sure hope they're inspired to even do more to help those in need uh, in response to what God's done for them, that they would even uh, be more sacrificial in their own gifts. But the reality is each and every one of us, and I would say this especially me because I know me, we're powerless when it comes to sin. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5. You see at just the right time when we were still powerless, each one of us are powerless in sin. Because of one sin in my life, I have no chance to make it to God on my own. I can't rise above that sin no matter how hard I try. I am powerless in my sin. It makes me miss the mark. But in that moment, God died for the ungodly. Christ did. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may have come here today and you're like, man, I know I'm a mess. I know my life is, is turned upside down. That is the moment where God's message will speak to you because you can't handle it. I hope you figured it out. But in that moment, when you were powerless, when you were overwhelmed, God sent his own son. And in that love, he died for you. That's what's amazing about grace. 
It's different than any other gift. Most gifts are tied to a little bit of achievement, a little bit of relationship, a little bit of good standing. God says, in your worst standing, in the moment where you were helpless, I died for you. That's the gift I want to give you. I have some gifts here before us today that will hope, hopefully get us thinking about how sometimes we can receive gifts and what we have to do for them. And God's gift is totally different. And this illustration will fall short. If it has any value, God's value of grace is exponentially more. But let's get started with this. I've got one gift here that I would like to honor and share with someone if they could just tell me what Thursday is. Anybody know what Thursday is? Larry, what's Thursday? Veterans Day. Day. Larry, would you come on down since you're all the way in the back? Give it up for Larry. He knew what Thursday was. Larry, you were... Did you, were you here first service that you knew that so fast? You weren't, were you? No? Okay. This gift, um, I am honoring him and sharing that because you knew that. Larry, don't get too excited. That is something that is just, I got both items at Dollar General, and they both cost a dollar, the bag and the gift, okay? So <laughs> it is, but I enjoy them. Do you like Vienna sausages? Have you ever had Vienna sausages? Yeah. You got an extra large can of Vienna sausages, so congratulations. <laughs> All right. Give it up for Larry. Now, in that moment, I'm conveying a little bit that to receive that gift, they had to have some, some ability to kind of earn it. And that's not what grace is. There's nothing we do to earn that. God offers it to us for those who want to respond by hearing. We're going to hear more of that in a, a minute. Uh, before we move on, though, and I say this with all due respect, that, that, that first gift, Larry, I pray that you're blessed by that. But it shows when we try to earn something, we can't earn very much. But I want to say thank you. Thank you to the veterans, in all seriousness, for the great sacrifice they have given to us as your family and friends and to our nation. So if you are a veteran, would you please stand? We want to honor you and say thank you. If you're a veteran, would you stand? Let's praise God for our veterans. Veterans, uh, we want to invite you. The school contact us when they want to get the news out with this. Uh, on Wednesday at 9 o'clock in the gymnasium at the high school, they're going to have a Veterans Day service. We want to invite you and uh, a guest uh, to come and be honored in that way. But thank you, and we're thankful that you worshiped here today. If you're watching online, thank you for uh, serving our country in that way and, and being a sacrificial in what you can give. There's one more gift I want to share, though, and... It has more value than a, a can of Vienna sausages, okay? And you really don't have to know anything to earn it, because I don't want you to earn it. I just, it's, it takes another step in, into God's faith path. You just got to kind of be honest about where you're at. Uh, it's kind of a confessionary moment, and I think some of you probably could uh, acknowledge this. Uh, I could raise my hand to this. Does anyone here in the room, were any of you tempted and maybe... Um, considered because of just how nice your bed felt this morning, you just felt like staying home today and not coming to church. Raise your hand. All right, I saw this hand over here first. So I'm going to, So uh, thank you for being uh, willing to be honest, many of you. Here you go. You're welcome. That was the first hand I saw. First service, I had to wait for like a minute. Someone finally said, okay, I'm going to help him out. I'm going to admit that. But let's be honest, there are times on most Sundays we're like, man, I I could just stay home today. I'm thankful each of you are here. While she didn't have to do anything, she just had to admit this morning that I, I considered that. that. I considered that, that my heart was, was struggling with this decision. And much better than a Vienna sausage, you can take at least one of your friends today for lunch with that gift card, okay? Add some value. 
but it falls in comparison to what we're talking about today with this last gift. I want to be honest, this last gift represents the gift of grace that God offers all of us through Jesus, what he's done for us on the cross. But I wonder if you've accepted it. You, you can't earn it. It, it does involve a, a, a moment where you're honest, where you, have to, where you have to admit where you are and what you're doing and what's going on in your life. And it's completely above what you would ever deserve. It is a, a, an act of kindness beyond what you could ever claim for yourself. God's gift is greater and more undeserved than I could ever express with words, but it's open to all of you. And there is a basic way that we can begin to process what grace is, looking at the big picture of Scripture. I want to share with you an acrostic that helps me remember. It's helped me remember the big picture of grace for the last 30-some years. And it is this first. The G for grace stands that it's God who gives it. It's God, the creator of everything and the creator of all things, that he is perfect in every way. And he desires, then the R, to bless you with his riches. God wants to, and he has provided every good thing that you ever know are provided by him for your benefit and for his glory. If you have anything that's good, if you have anything that's noble, if you have anything that feels perfect even for a moment, it comes from God. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. If you've been blessed with something, uh, we need to give praise to God. But the greatest thing that he ever gave was his riches to be with him forever in heaven. The riches of eternal life through Jesus. So God wants to give us all these riches. But like Mark said, there is a, a price for the giver. It came at a cost. And the, the expense, it comes at the expense. And you know what the expense was? Christ. Christ gave something. Christ gave his life. Christ uh, was fully God, 100% God, 100% man. And that allowed him uh, to be able to suffer. And, and as God, he was able to take on our sins. God poured on the sins of all people. And on the cross, he paid the price of his life. And because he was human, he was able to feel pain. He was able to feel separation from God. And in that moment, he was overwhelmed and death came to him. Christ paid with an expensive death. Even death on a cross. And I pray that you're hearing that. You cannot do anything to, to earn or, or, or to, to receive payment for what you've done uh, uh, great enough to ever get into heaven. But through God's grace, we can receive that. But it happens when you hear it. Look what the Bible says. We're saved by grace through faith. Through faith. That, that's, that's how the process of us receiving it. It, it. It's a little bit more complicated, but you can understand in a moment uh, that we just receive this gift and begin to unwrap it. But there are a, 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 a stages of through our faith that we begin to um, receive God's grace. Look what the scripture says about through faith. How does it start? It's more than just believing. We can believe things that are real, but it doesn't save us. Look what it says. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's a great question, though. While you can call on Jesus and he will save you, how do you even know to call him? So the scripture deals with that. It says, how then can they call on the one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? That This would be sharing the good news. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Pause right here for the moment we get to this uh, uh, pivotal point where how we respond to faith or, or faith gets started in us. 
There is something that happens when we share the good news of Jesus with people. God sees it and it is beautiful. He says, the the feet of those who bring the good news that Jesus died for everyone so they could have eternal life. He says, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, It blows my mind because if my feet are anything like yours, they're pretty nasty. They're, they're rough. But, but in the presentation, in the image of us coming before one another with the good news of Jesus, it's a beautiful thing. What's about to happen today for someone in this room that doesn't know where grace comes from, it's a beautiful thing that will change your life. Because look what it says. Consequently, when all this happens, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. The gospel. That Jesus Christ was sent from God in heaven, his one son, and he lived a perfect life. And they crucified him on the cross. And three days later, he arose, the victor over both sin and death. And now he's presenting the gift of grace that was paid by him to you. To be a part of his family. I wonder why we don't receive grace though. Some of you have heard about it now. I wonder what keeps you from accepting it. It's not really that complicated. Uh, walking through faith, it starts with hearing. So some of you have heard. And then there's a point after you've heard, you've got you've to respond. Either you're going to accept it, believe it, or you're going to reject it. There, there comes a point in uncovering the gift of grace where you have to believe. And in this gift, today, the belief is represented by this blue tissue paper. All of you now have heard that Jesus loved you enough to die for you uh, and you can't have your sins forgiven by what he's done for you on the cross and you can receive this gift, but you have to have this uh, layer of faith that says, I believe. You have to have this layer of faith that that is is willing to say, I trust in Jesus because it's not just enough to believe. We have to to place our trust in him. So I wonder if that's true. Maybe Maybe you have uncovered that layer of faith that says, I believe. And if you do, the Bible makes it clear that you will call on his name. You will declare. It's represented by this green. And it's that moment where you declare that you can't have life on your own, but you need the the power of Jesus in your life. I I declare. uh, We we often declare with our mouths here at Greenville First Christian Church, and uh, we see this from the book of Acts, that, that Peter says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, and I accept Him as my personal Lord and Savior. That is an evidence of declaring with our mouths. You may say in a different way. You may say, I believe and I trust Jesus as my Savior. But there comes a point when you believe and you trust Him that you will say it with your mouth. It's a part of faith. You might say, well, Tyson, you're beginning to earn your faith. No, because in that moment you're saying, I can't do it. I'm confessing it's Jesus. Because I believe He's real. I believe He's who He said He was. So there must be a, a, a faith step of belief. There must be a faith step of confession. Somewhere along the line, it may be before or after. We can't put this, this path uh, in a box. It's not always linear. It, it, it sometimes can be very fluid. It may happen all at once. But this red tissue paper, as, you, as we uncover the gift of grace, represents repentance. And there comes a point in time when we realize that we are condemned by our sins and we say not only we're sorry... But we acknowledge we have been living and going the ways of the world and we turn and say, I'm going to follow Jesus from here on out. That is repentance. And some of you have believed and you have confessed, but you've not changed. There's been no movement to follow Christ and that is essential. It, It is an essential part of God's grace. 
Because if, if God is saying, here, hold on my grace, but you've got to, you're back to him holding on to all these things in the world, we have to say, God, I'm sorry and I need to change and I'm going to follow you in your plan of salvation in faith in you. There's one more tissue paper that the Bible makes it very clear that there'll be a moment of change. It's represented by this white tissue paper and it's a moment where our sins are made whiter than snow. And it is miraculous, and it is uh, all about Jesus. But the Bible says that, that when we do uh, confess and, and we repent, we will become baptized. And our sins will be forgiven, and we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In immersion, uh, it's not just a baptism of a random sort. It's baptism by immersion. And the Bible says when we go under the water, we share in his death. And when we come up out of the water, we share in his resurrection. And in that moment, there is something that unites us with his death and unites us with his resurrection forever. And if you've never done that, you are, you are uh, very much uh, playing with a very dangerous place because God has asked us to be baptized, to be made new in him. And in that moment, our faith journey has not been completed. It is just beginning as we walk with Jesus. I wonder what part of the faith journey you're kind of stuck at. I wonder if you are, maybe have rebelled against any parts of this faith journey because it can't be anything about what you do. I want you to understand every part of this, whether it's believing, whether it's repentance, confession, or baptism, has nothing to do with what you've done, but it's acknowledged in every way, this is what Christ has done to me and I'm joining with him. It's not an arrogant step of accomplishment, but it's a humbling Step of unity with Christ to receive his good news, his gospel, the grace. So what keeps us from receiving that grace? That's really that simple. I think of the woman at the well. Turn with me in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman. And she's had a difficult day. If you know the story, she is at the well around noon in the middle of the day in the heat of the day. Basically because she is tired of people talking about her. She's tired of being condemned. Uh, most of the women in the community would go to the well early in the morning and they would, get, ta- they would take care of getting all their water. Uh, but this woman ha- had had such a scandalous life. Uh, it-, it seems that she wants to go to the well alone no matter the cost, the heat, the uncomfortableness of it. Because she is tired of dealing with her past. So she's there in that moment surprised to meet Jesus. And surprisingly, Jesus says, hey, could you give me a drink? Jesus is exhausted from a journey. He's there on, by himself for a moment. His disciples have went to find food. And Jesus is like, hey, I really could use a drink. And she looks at Jesus right from the beginning. Maybe the way some of you look at Jesus be like, you don't even know who I am. If you knew uh, my background, if you knew where I came from, you wouldn't even want to talk to me. You know who she was? She was a Samaritan, and she was a woman. So a Jewish man shouldn't even be talking to her. And she said, You don't even know who I am. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We can't have a relationship. And it doesn't bother Jesus, though. I want you to know if you're here today and your first thought is, man, if Tyson only knew who I was, he wouldn't even be offering this to me. That is a lie from Satan. Jesus is coming directly to you, just as he did this woman, and say, hey, I'm here. I'm here to know you. I'm here to help you. In fact, I love what Jesus says next. She goes, you don't know me. And he goes, man, if you only knew what I offered, look what he says in verse 10. If you only knew the gift God has for you 
Now, he doesn't have a gift bag from Dollar General, but he is getting right to the point here. He goes, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, you would be hungry for what I have. You'd be thirsty for what I have. Because look what he says. And you are speak, who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then she tries to change the subject. She's like, man, this is getting pretty intense. I haven't talked to anybody for a few days. I'm kind of a loner. And she says, starts talking about where we should worship and how we should worship. And she tries to get Jesus distracted. And Jesus says, no, I want to give you something more than you ever dreamed of today. He says, go get your husband. He's wanting to prove one more point. If really, he knows her. She says, I don't have a husband. She goes, I, Jesus says, I know. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now, the guy you're sharing a life with now, the guy you're messing around with now is not your husband. She said, how do you know all this? You must... Are you the Messiah? Do you, do you, are you the one we've been looking for all these years? And he said, yeah. And I want to give you a gift. And she left changed. And we see the evidence of her life changed because she goes back to her hometown where she didn't want to talk to anybody. And she talks to everybody. Hey, uh, you need to come and meet this one. Uh, he must be the Messiah. He knew everything about me. And yet he still wanted to know me. He says, I, I can give you a living water where you'll, you'll live forever. You, you'll, have, you'll never thirst again. But she had to get past this point where she wasn't worthy of being with Jesus, to knowing him, to being saved by him. She had to get past this point of hiding kind of in the background. Maybe that's why you're still watching online. Uh, some people I know are seeking Jesus, but they're doing it from a distance. Jesus is coming with the message. He wants to know you. Maybe that's why you're on the back row or right here in the front row. I don't, wherever you are and you feel like you are not worthy to know Jesus, he says, I know everything about you and I can give you eternal life. Will you receive it? Stop hiding. Also makes me think of the next chapter. There's a man that Jesus meets in chapter 5. He has been crippled for 38 years at least. Because we know from Scripture that for 38 years he's been laying by the pool in this picture. The Bible says he would always try to get into the pool. The, the way the tradition went, whenever the water stirred, whether it bubbled or there was some type of stirring of it, I don't know how it happened, but there was a, a great commitment that if you got into the water first, you'd be the one that would be healed. Well, for 38 years this guy's laying by the pool and he never gets in. And so Jesus, knowing this, I don't know how he knew it. It, it, was, it was tradition. Hey, that guy's been there for a long time. But Jesus goes up to him. I don't know if you remember what he said. He said, do you want to be well? It's a great question. You've been by the pool for 38 years. What's, what's stopping you from when the water stirred? Uh, just roll in. But he'd become comfortable in his crippledness. He'd become comfortable and, and content and who he was, not even be able to enjoy life. And yet many of us in this world get that way. We get so comfortable with how we are in our disability, in our just dysfunction in life, and we don't move. And Jesus is like, do you want to be well? I'm going to take these words of Jesus and ask you right now, do you want to be well? And I don't know who you are. This wasn't said first service. But some of you have been probably coming to church a long time and you are dysfunctional, you're crippled, you're hurt, and you're acting like everything's fine. It's over 38 years and Jesus would be come to you and say, do you want to be well? Because if you do, start walking with me. Because that's what he tells this guy. He says, hey, you don't have to get in the water. He doesn't say, hey, you got to wait till the water stirs and you got to make it in by yourself. He says, get up and walk. 
And following the ways of Jesus, he moves. But he does something wrong here. He's healed immediately through Jesus' power, but he doesn't acknowledge Jesus. He doesn't even really know Jesus yet. And we see him talking later in the day to people, and they're like, hey, who's, who healed you? We know you've been crippled for 38 years. So how do you walk? He goes, I don't know. Somebody healed me. I don't know who it was. Uh, just a little bit later, Jesus comes and confronts the guy who's just been healed and said, hey, you better stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. He says, I've healed you. Now live like it. And the man goes on and begins to tell other people, hey, Jesus is the one who healed me. Jesus is the one who healed me. I now know it's Jesus. And he, he promotes Jesus. He, he uh, gives thanks to Jesus. He lifts up the name of Jesus. And his life has changed forever. I don't know how that applies to you. But there's probably someone here who's been around for 38 years and have never truly been set free. you got to look to Jesus and start walking and following him. Others of you are, are still kind of laying around thinking, well, I'm going to step out and trust Jesus when I get my ducks in a row. There's going to be a day where things kind of fall into place, and I'm going to take a step of faith and trust in him. But, and i got to get my ducks in a row. That is a lie from Satan himself. You will never get your ducks in a row enough to claim salvation. It is the moment when you realize you're broken and say, Jesus, help me, is when your life is changed. It's called grace. I don't know issues you have. Leave them to the side and, and start walking with him and then give him glory. Later, Jesus found him and he began to share the good news of Jesus, how he changed his life. That's what we're to do as well. We're to make much of Jesus when he's changed us. That's what the woman did and the man did. That's what we're called to do when we receive grace. Have you received it? I wonder if you're kind of like that guy being, I don't even know really how it happened. Or you're like that woman who, who, who doesn't think it could happen. There's a moment when we receive it and then we share it. Uh, and I want to give you some, just some tools, some concepts. If you're that person that received grace but you haven't been sharing it, how you can do that. We read this book this week as a staff. It was a chapter about the gospel and how we can proclaim Jesus. And here's the first thing. When someone asks you about the gospel, we should know that people we encounter, while they are sinners, they were good. God created them in their image. Everyone you encounter, no matter how broken, no matter how many wives or husbands they've had, no matter how much they're addicted to this or that, no matter how evil they may seem or, or rejected they feel, they are good in the spirit because of what God's made them. They have become flawed, though, in their own choices and sin. They are guilty. But God does not create sin. Amen? You're not very convinced of that. I haven't asked for much conversation yet. God does not create sin. Amen? And so when someone is created, they are good, they're holy. That's why we do not baptize infants. We believe, at, uh, based on God's word, that when, when someone is born, they are, uh, uh, they are creating God's image and they're healthy. But when they reject God and they sin, they become guilty until that point of forgiveness. And if you're listening now, you are guilty if you've not received forgiveness because you're old enough to know. So we are created good. We're creating God's image. But guilt is a part of everyone's path the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can rest in our guilt for a moment. It needs to be done, but not for long because we can receive grace. Grace is God's gift of eternal life available through Jesus, not our own works. And then when we receive grace, we become God's people. We become a part of his family. One of the beautiful things about worshiping together, whether it's Friday night or Sunday morning, is we worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here to support each other. When God adopts us into his family, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. 
And everyone is invited into the family. Today, you need to know this. Whether you feel like you're an outsider, maybe it's the first time, or you've never felt a part of a church, you can be a part of this church, God's church, kingdom-wide, through Jesus. Period. Don't let anything or anyone keep you out of his family. Because that's how much God loves you. When we realize that, there will be a, 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 point, a portion of gratitude we show. We honor and display to God, as a response to grace, gratitude. We honor and, and give praise to God by what we do, not as a prerequisite to be saved, but as a response to be saved. So here's the cool part. In a little bit, we're going to give you a bunch of things you can do this Christmas season, Thanksgiving season, to bless people in the community who don't have very much or have a need right now. Guys, it is not an effort to do our work so we can be saved. It is ultimately in response to God has saved us, and we want to be a blessing to others. That's what gratitude looks like. It's not in response for salvation. It is a thank you because of salvation. Finally, there's God's vision for us. God has a vision for the church. He has a vision for you to have his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's vision is for all of us as his people to help those in need, to help those that are persecuted, to help those that are uh, um, the least of these, to help those that are, uh, have been hurt or abandoned this world. We are to unite and bring them uh, alongside of us to show them the hope in Jesus so God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. To make Jesus famous. We're going to do that in just a moment with another song. If you are a believer in Christ, if you've been saved by his grace, we have an opportunity every Sunday to say, Jesus, we're going to lift up your name. If you're not in a position where you've received that grace, you can say it, but it really won't matter much into the kingdom of God until you first receive what he's done for you. Would you stand with me today? And maybe you're realizing you've not received this grace. I want you to know that you can come forward, talk to dear I or a friend. You may say, well, I need to really deal with this belief. I've never truly said I believe. It's time for me to confess with my mouth. Maybe it's time for me to repent. And you can do that right where you're at. You may say, I've been putting this off a long time. I've never been made new in baptism. I've never been immersed. Whatever stage you are to giving God glory, acknowledge he's the one in control, And don't put it off another day. You may also need to declare right now, everything you do moving forward is not going to be an effort to earn anything, but to make much and give God glory in everything. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to be grateful of your grace. Father, Lord, if someone is here that has not received grace for whatever way, whatever uh, portion of uh, the process of walking through faith, they have put it off. I pray they put it off no longer, and we make much of Jesus together. Father, I thank you for the ability to believe and confess, repent, and the beauty of baptism that lets us unite with Jesus completely and eternally through his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, lead us today as we worship you, and let us give you glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen.